How do you make a full series with not one single moving image? How do you direct name talent like Helen Hunt and Alan Cumming? I mean, how do you even direct a vocal only performance at all? How do you use marketing to not only get to number one in the charts, but to also get doors to open for you in Hollywood? How do you direct a full-on fiction narrative podcast series? Well, filmmaker Jenny Curtis is here to tell us all about it. This is the Working Director Podcast, a show that helps you go from emerging filmmaker to working director. As a filmmaker living in Los Angeles, I've directed over 130 projects, including six distributed feature films, all while helping filmmakers figure out how to level up in their careers. I do this show with one goal in mind, to help you become a working director. And if you want to join us for the live Q&A sessions and ask all of your questions, make sure you join our free private Facebook group by going to theworkingdirector.pro. Jenny Curtis, tell us What's it called and what's it about? Let's start with that. My podcast is called Solar. It's a sci-fi audio drama with 12 episodes and 13 uh, interstitial scenes that come out in between episodes. Uh, it is a deep, dark, poetic drama about a joint space mission to the sun with the private sector and public sectors of space travel. And something goes horribly wrong. Uh, the, the mission is hit by a solar flare and the surviving crew members have to figure out what went wrong and how to fix it in order to contact Earth and find a way home. I think that's the story. Wow. That's not complicated at all. Not at all. I not can't even all. imagine doing that as a film. And you've done it with straight just audio, which is nuts, which we will get into and how you did it. But um, I also want to let everybody know that you actually have some names that they would recognize in this, which is another big feat. We do. Uh, we have Stephanie Beatrice from uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine and, and In the Heights and her upcoming Twisted Metal. She is a freaking champion. We have Alan Cumming, who is one of the greatest actors just ever to grace the face of the planet. And we have a tiny little actress you've probably never heard of named Helen Hunt. Uh, so she joined the cast, which was pretty neat. Uh, among uh, a array of amazing actors, too, uh, people like Colin Ford, where if you saw Daybreak on Netflix, he was the, the Ferris Bueller character in, the, in the, the lead of the show. Danielle Pinnock, who is one of the fan favorite characters on CBS's Ghosts. So, yeah, the list goes on. We've got, we've got good, good people, and we loved them all. How did you get all of those celebrities to come do a podcast? Do you, and also, was it easier than maybe trying to get them to do a film? I don't know for sure if it was the pandemic helped or hurt us, because obviously things were harder because we were trying to put this together during the pandemic. But getting actors to say yes was, I think, probably maybe easier because nothing was going on. And it was easier to say, like, sure, I can give you some days in a recording studio that's completely blocked off and you're not touching anybody. And so it's a much safer way to go to work. It was a variety of things. I mean, our cast is filled with people we know and have worked with before, which is always, as anybody knows, just a joy because you have a, a common vocabulary with your friends and coworkers that makes your job easier. Uh, the people like uh, Danielle and Colin, who I just mentioned, I had never met them before. They came to us through auditions and, uh, you know, they stood out, obviously, because they're super talented. And then people like Stephanie and Alan and Helen were offers. And um, I was just more surprised every time someone said yes. Like, it's a great project. It's an incredible script. So, of course, actors want to be a part of it. But, like, 
getting yeses from those people, I, you know, I blew out my voice every time because I would just scream at the top of my lungs. <laughs> Did you use a casting director? We started with uh, one. We worked with Mormon Bowling Casting, who are two wonderful women. Uh, and it, it was kind of one of those, we can't really afford everything we need to do to make this project happen, as I'm sure you understand. Uh, so it was really, we brought them on for a consulting phase and to try to book uh, our leads. The actual casting of the whole cast was kind of fell on my head. But uh, Sunny um, and Meg got us Stephanie. And then from there, the process was kind of taking too long and it got very expensive when you're paying per month and months would go by because, you know, when you're sending out offers, you have to wait for the agents to read the script and then maybe two weeks later they'll pass them on to the talent and maybe a month later talent will get back to you with a yes or a no. So it's just a long process. Uh, so it got too expensive to have a casting director on the whole time. And, uh, we started reaching out ourselves. You can, you can get emails from IMDb and, and talking to casting directors, uh, not casting directors, talking to agents is usually pretty easy when you're like, I have a job. Who do you got? Who wants to work? I know we did that for playing with Beethoven as well, where we just, I, I had to just make calls and emails and you'd get a lot of the, like, they wouldn't reply and they're like, just following back up. And then some snotty agent reply. You're dealing with all of that. But then you get the people like, they're just lovely. And it was definitely like finding the people who we liked working with on the agent side was a big part of the learning curve and finding the people who it's like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of ego in this business. And like, how dare you offer less than a million dollars to my client and, you know, all of that. But it, we learned, uh, we learned that you can have your dream list and you can go after those people and obviously, you know, start there if you have the time. But it also really helps when you've formed a relationship with an agent to be like, who, who comes close to what we're looking for that you have that you know would be interested in this project instead of us just banging our head against a wall waiting for someone to say yes when they're off shooting the next James Bond or whatever. You directed yeah. this insane project. It's basically, how many feature films would it be? How many, cause it's a, how many episodes is it? It's 12 episodes that run between like our shortest because it was the most intense, I think runs like 26 minutes, but it's like between 30 and 50 minutes per episode. So four features maybe. So what was the most challenging part of trying to do a narrative podcast? Most challenging aspect of this is dealing with other people's opinions, having to get, you know, we had consultants in our company telling us what's right and wrong in the podcasting world and we had to fight for what we wanted and we were getting notes on our story that we didn't necessarily agree with. And we had like, there was so much anxiety and, uh, tension surrounding us following our creative vision. And, um, that was definitely the hardest part for me. I will say, because I often forget to mention this, it was the hardest part, but it did yield fruit like having people combat you and having to really think through things and having to come to compromise and find parts of the story you might not want and then realize was the right choice to begin with or in the long run whatever it it does the challenges of it always make it 
better. In terms of the directing aspect, working in a pandemic, recording all of the actors separately, like none of them worked together. So it is a challenge to think through the fact that like we really needed to know what we wanted. Like I, I needed to know what I wanted from a performance because I'm so so picky about performance and I'm so so picky when I hear things that don't like people are usually like yeah okay so they didn't record together and you can hear where maybe the uh, the conversation feels a little off or stilted because it's not a natural way to respond to something because they didn't record together and I had no interest in having people like excuse us for that we wanted it to be perfect so I think really really uh, making sure we had every single possible reaction and response and uh, performance so that we had a gamut of things to choose from in the edit bay. And then also I did the dialogue edits as well. That was, um, it was a challenge mostly because, again, I'm very particular and I didn't pick takes while people were recording. I then went back through every single moment of our recordings to be like, okay, this word from this performance matches this sentence from this performance. And it was a crazy hair pulling out process. But also, like I say, I, I think that made it all better. So the hardest parts made it, made it what it is. So how did you prepare for something like this then? Were you having massive sort of shot lists and we spent a long time developing this project. So uh, my partner in it, who uh, also he's a co-director and he was the writer and, and, you know, I kind of was the lead in directing performances. He was the lead in directing the post, like sound design, all of that. And we just traded off uh, being the B director, I guess. But he and I talked ad nauseum about what each scene feels like. And for me, I'm a very, uh, I'm a gut reaction type of person. And I think you are too of like, mm -hmm. you want to feel the scene in your belly when you know it's right. It's not as heady as like, I know what I'm wanting. I know what I want and I'm going after that exactly. So knowing the feel of the story and the emotions we want and whatever, it was when we were in the booth hearing the takes like, you, you have the freedom because you don't have to like necessarily change camera angles or whatever. There's not setups. It's just performance. And so we, we were able to say like, okay, let's try it this way. Okay. Let's try it this way. Okay. Let's try it this way. Oh shit. That's a pun. Uh, can I swear? Sorry. That's a punch in the, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Like, oh, that's a punch in the gut. Yes, that's the take. We can now move on. Um, but it is very like, uh, what are you feeling viscerally in the moment? And that's when you know it's right. Were you able to record chronologically for the actors or did you still have to kind of block record? How did that work? Yeah, we jumped around. Uh, most, I mean, the show itself jumps around, so that was part of it. But it was also for, it's a SAG show. SAG recording uh, session is four hours. So it's really like counting the lines, how long do we estimate this taking, how much can we get done in four sessions, and then it's a jigsaw puzzle of like, we can get two of our bigger scenes in and then four of our little scenes or whatever. Uh, so it was a little bit of mix and match. And, but again, as coming from a performance background myself, I would always try to make it as actor friendly as possible. You know, like if we have 
a super heavy day, you know, have a few easy scenes in there, but not necessarily jump into a comedy one because nobody wants to feel like a, a pendulum from scene to scene. Yeah, it really came down to how many scenes were they in? How long did we have them for? You know, like Helen, who was in seven episodes, we only had for two days. And we got through most of her stuff, I think, in a, in a day. And she came back for, like, pickups the second day. And Stephanie, we had for, we had guaranteed seven sessions, ended up using six because she works faster than, than like, the, that was also a learning process of, like, how fast do actors work in the booth? And for me, like, with John, who's our other lead, John Bangs, who was one of our friends, John and I, when I say, you know, speak the same language, he came from CalArts, which is where I went to school. Like, we, we like getting in and playing. And, and, you know, sometimes it's like, go deeper, go darker is the direction. And sometimes it's like, okay, now say it like you're standing on top of a mountain holding an ice cream cone that's dripping down your hand and you're late for jury duty. What does that do to the line? Who knows? <laughs> And so with John, there was a lot more playing involved, which means we did a lot more sessions because I, I wouldn't say I wasted time, but I definitely used more time than I needed to because we had the option of kind of playing and he was cheaper than our stars. So we had the option of doing more sessions. I know a lot of times directors are worried about how they deal with name talent. Like, should I give feedback? How much feedback should I give? Where did you fall on that spectrum with, say, Helen Hunt, who's a freaking master, I'm sure? Yeah, it was terrifying, I'll say. for the <laughs> <laughs> It was really terrifying. And with Helen, like, yeah, with Helen, it very much was, like, straightforward. The character's a little, uh, she's kind of described as being weird, but not she's sort of she's sort of reserved and weird and whatever and it became like very much like okay Helen gets the character we're gonna do it like that like the, it's not I I didn't tell Helen to do it like she's standing on top of a mountain top late for jury with Alan Cumming who was the only person we had recording remotely because he was in New York and again it was a pandemic so he was at his house in the mountains of New York we had like sent him equipment and set everything up. And with that, there was a little bit more like, not only do we have to feel each other out because we're figuring out this character because it, he was less of a straightforward character, uh, but also we had to feel out the equipment and, and like do things again because there was glitches and uh, having to tell Alan coming like, I'm so sorry, there was a glitch in the middle of that. Can we do your perfect performance again was... <laughs> was really terrifying. The way I directed everybody or the way I gave actors what I thought was their their best chance at uh, authentic performance was I played all of the other parts. Like we weren't going line by line and picking up each line solo. We were doing like full scenes, theater style, and I played every other part uh, to the best of my ability, which was great oh my, for me because I love I acting. You got to act with Helen I got to act with Helen Hunt. I got to, but Alan, Alan was the one where like the first time we did it, uh, I literally, I think I was just like, I, I think I said it in front of him. I was like, I can't believe I just got to act in a scene with you. And then I just like Aww. sank, sank down out of frame. Like, holy crap, <laughs> that just happened. But yeah, same with Helen. It was very much like, I cannot believe this is happening. Like I'm pinching myself. This is 
crazy. And, and uh, yeah, I don't even know how to begin to say like the, the learning curve was steep for sure. Cause like we said, we didn't have a lot of time. Like Alan, we had three days, Helen, we had two, Stephanie, we had six, right? There were seven, whatever I said. The, the arc of getting to know Stephanie was a little bit lengthened and uh, I deeply appreciated the time with her because the, she was the first like more celebrity person I've worked with. And she came in and she is fantastic, but she's also like doing her job. So she would talk to me, uh, in a, in a very serious way. And for the first day, I feel like I was like, what if she doesn't like me? Like, what if she doesn't like my direction? I'm so sorry that I'm telling you to do anything. And then by like the second or third session, like when we would like talk it out, I would be like, oh no, this is addicting. This is how, what I like being as a performer. Like, of course I would like being this as a director, like talk the scene out to talk about what works and what doesn't and what the motivation is and all of that. So she was very engaged. It just took me a second to be like, oh, that's what this is. She's not fighting me for giving her direction. She's literally trying to figure it out. Um, but it was, yeah, there was definitely that moment with each of them being like, I have to feel you out because you're a total stranger and you do this all the time. And you're not like, like, I feel like, you know, actors who, who you've worked with a million times, you have the grace of them trusting you or knowing you. At the same time as us starting was, uh, I have another podcast called Hollywood Unscripted. And, you know, I more or less dropped it while we were doing Solar because, I was too focused on solar, but I had a few interviews that came my way that I was like, I can't turn this down, must do this conversation. One of those was Lee Daniels, who is just a phenomenal director. And I was talking to him about why he works with unseasoned actors. And he was like, well, there is the thing of like seasoned actors come in and if you haven't worked with them, they don't trust you. Like they don't want to give you anything that could make them look bad because they don't trust you in the edit. And that makes total sense. And, uh, and you know, actors who know you and trust you and are willing to play will make a fool of themselves and take risks and whatever, because, you know, they, maybe it's naive of them, but they believe you'll make them sound good in the end. And why would Helen Hunt think this girl who, you know, is making a podcast in North Hollywood uh, will make me sound my best. And so there, there is that level of like, I think they need to protect themselves. So it's less like, let's experiment with something weird and then throw it out if it doesn't work, because no matter what, if they've done it, like I might be able to use it. Yeah. So it was a really interesting, an interesting thing for me to hear from him while I was trying to learn like how best to work with these actors. And it, it just opened my eyes to like, understanding their perspective that I, I might not have understood before. I think that's great. And it also makes you think as a director, what can you do when you first start to work with somebody to gain their trust before you even get to set? So that's great. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, I'd really love to talk about the post process because I think that in films, we already tend to forget that we have to deal with post later. So we're like, we're in production. Let's spend all of our money on production. And then you finish your movie. You're like, oh, crap. We got to edit this and color it and do sound. <laughs> we have to make it now. Ugh. I'm assuming that when you were doing this, 
your whole brain was like post. Yes. And it's, but it also comes down to, uh, like, so in the next version, it comes down to how do we make this a faster process? Because it was a really long process, like recording in and of itself was drawn out because casting was more sporadic. You know, Helen was the last person we got and she came on, like she started recording a month after everyone else was done. So like it, we had like four months of people recording that I would try to start editing scenes knowing like, here's the gap for where a line should go and hopefully the line is going to work there. I mean, it's just, again, to ramble about it, like the editing version of it, basically what I would do is I would put all takes in, stack them on top of each other, um, and go through and unmute like one at a time and just play like a sentence to see like which sentences my pick. And then I would basically do like my selections one through five and stack them on top of each other. And then I would bring all the actors like clips together and I would go through like does my take number one for this character work with my take number one for this character? No. What about one and two? And like, it's like a jigsaw, like back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And so that is definitely why the process took way longer. I will say hearing from other people who make podcasts, nobody does that. It's a crazy way to go about doing things. You've got to be a a real perfectionist and it's not necessarily a good thing, but I, I like what we came out with and I stand by my psychosis. I've never even listened to a podcast. that's like what you did. So it's, it's insane. And those of you listening, you should check it out. Even if you're not into podcasts or narrative podcasts, just as a filmmaker, you need to hear what this sounds like and what kind of work they put into it. What number did you end up getting to in the charts? After all the dramas and all the creative, you know, back and forth and all that, where did you guys end up going? Um, our, I think for sci-fi, we were number one. And for fiction in the Apple charts, we were number two. So number two fiction in all of podcasts. I cannot, I, I can't believe it. Like I truly, it's mind blowing that, I mean, it's a great show. I deeply, like I've never cared about a project this much in my entire life and I'm obsessed with it and I love it and I'm a picky, picky person. But I can't believe other people are listening. <laughs> like it's, it's so exciting. And, you know, I think I, I, I told you or you might have seen it, but like we crossed the million downloads uh, threshold last month, which is insane. That's a huge number. Ah, like, and to, uh, this is actually important for directors of like, it's not a fluke. It's not, I've made a good project and people are listening because it's good, which I wish it was, and we all wish it was. But we had a, a marketing, uh, we have Stephanie Arikellian, who works at our company, worked her ass off contacting every single platform to say, this show is coming, are you ready for it? Contacted every single, like everything she did, it was like, this show is happening and marketing and making sure people are aware of your project is just as important as making sure the project is freaking perfect. Uh, which is the less fun part for us creatives, but like it's so important for for you to get the word about your project out there in order for it to have an audience rise in the charts. For anybody who's looking to do those kinds of reach outs ahead of time, what kind of who is she reaching out to specifically? For podcasts, it was you know uh, developing relationships with platforms. So Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, there's a, 
uh, app called Apollo that they were very good to us. Um, uh, Samsung was very good to us. Uh, I'm forgetting people who are important. Stitcher and uh, anyone I've forgotten, if you're listening, we love you. I'm so sorry, but like it, it was, you know, going to conventions Well, there's, you know, there's a podcast convention, go to conventions and talk to literally everybody and see what kind of relationship you can have with them. Um, for podcasts, it also comes down to trades in advertising. Like you have ad slots in your show, put ads for other shows in there because the audience who's going to go to their show is already listening to yours and vice versa. Like go go to where your audience is and try to capture that audience. And I'm like, when it comes down to film, I know there like, that's a, a different trade. Cause you're not going to put a film ad in the middle, <laughs> in the middle of your movie. But like, I don't know if there is like relationships with platforms like, like I don't know, Tubi and YouTube and, and, and wherever else people are putting their film. If it's not, immediately purchased and distributed to Netflix or whatever. What kind of relationships can you have there where projects with audiences are sharing your project and vice versa and social media, but like social media is hard because it's crap, but it's, it's useful crap. I think the the moral of this part of the story is you can't just have your money for production. You can't just have your money for post-production. You have to have your money for marketing. And I think that often, especially in indie film, that's something that just gets completely left out of the plan. Yeah. Yeah. And I am definitely guilty of this. Like when we started, there were things that, you know, I heard was in our budget of, of what we're spending our money on. And I was a brat about it. I was like, that is a waste. That's stupid, egotistical BS. And like, you know, we had a spread, an ad spread in a magazine that I, you know, I was like, looking at this feels stupid. It feels stupid that I had to, we had to buy our way into a magazine. Like it's obviously an ad. They're not promoting us because they want to. It feels dumb. But after that, people took us seriously. They were like, I saw you in the Hollywood Reporter. Like that was amazing. And now you can have a meeting with us because we are the gatekeepers. And what like, it's, it really, I'm, you know, comes down to like, what bullshit do you have to buy into a little bit and, and work with and marketing, having your, your show look fancier than you feel in your heart is, is a huge part of it. Jenny, I don't know if you're ever going to feel fancy. You're I'm never going to feel down fancy. to worth and, and amusing the rest of the world. And that's, that's what you're here for, to make us, the rest of us happy. Thanks for listening to the Working Director Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review as it helps others find the show and helps us keep making great content for you. And if you want even more help with your directing career, check out theworkingdirector.pro, where you can apply to be part of the accelerator that hones in on where you currently are and helps you get to where you want to be. Whether it's this podcast, the accelerator, or our free Facebook community for directors, we're here to help you get to work.